destroying the entire universe. Welcome to Radio Free Deimos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast broadcasting from a post-Deimos orbit on Voltaire Station. With me this week are my co-hosts Wines and Ashtar, and I'm Corbeau. Hello. Hi. This is Radio Free Deimos, episode 57. Let's talk about buildings for a while. This is not my catchiest title. I've done better, I think. So, before we get started, we've got some contractors coming to do some work on Voltaire Station. I'm really excited about that. We have a little bit of money. Uh, are there any new, anything we want to add to the station? Are they bringing a uh, 3D printer into orbit, or are we just, like, no, they doing like it the old-fashioned way? Big-ass 3D printer park, parked outside. It's very exciting. Perfect. Expensive. Are, are the otters charging us to polish the inside of the uh, the water pipes? Yes. And, and use them for a ride? I think this is like hotel pricing. They charge us for everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about armaments yet? No. Hmm. I thought we were going with the thick layer of garbage on the outside of the station as an ablative layer plan. We need to talk offensively. Hmm. I thought we had pros. It's pretty offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going for more bookshelves. Sure. Yeah. We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So I guess we'll just jump straight into our topic. So for the last two episodes, we've been looking at spyglass and kind of tangentially related because... We needed a tangentially related topic. And Spyglass looked back. Yeah, it did. It's a big, big beacon up there. Kind of decided to talk about maybe architecture and the way buildings and towns are put together, because that does play in a little bit into the Spyglass conversation. How are buildings born? <laughs> uh, they're printed, sir. <laughs> I spent some time doing uh, sort of forecasts and projections about what we might expect to see in a typical... I mean, this is really going to go on for about three minutes of dull, guys. So feel free to get some coffee while I start talking. Mars has a population of about 5 billion vectors at this point. Um, that's in first ed somewhere. I kind of threw some semi-random numbers together to kind of guess how dense the population would need to be and how many of these megastructures we need to have to support it. Uh, assuming about 90% of vectors live in corp towns, which is probably reasonable. That's based on uh, Japanese population density in cities. Uh, assuming, let's say, 80% of those live in the megastructures because they're affordable housing. Sure. Then that gives us a need of about 50,000 megastructures to house X number of vectors. Hmm. Random numbers. Uh, one very relevant question would be how many corp towns are there? Uh, looking at the number of cities on Terra that are over a population of about 2 million, I'm kind of ballparking it at about 200. Uh, Mars is more than Earth a planned environment. It's likely that they would have settled on some round numbers uh, with the intention of having a dense urban environment and a lot more spare uh, space for agriculture and such. Uh, Marsco was originally an agricultural concern, so it seems likely they would have set aside land for that. The great thing about that plan, though, is that they are vectors, so they can scale upwards or downwards infinitely without losing any precision. Yes, that's true. What do you mean? I mean, I like agreeing with you. It's fun. <laughs> Nothing. Graphics jokes. Oh. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it had to be explained to me. I don't feel like I don't feel like I walked into that one because I, no one could have seen it coming. 
So again, going off of kind of Terra's level of like large scale cities, I'm estimating maybe about 200 because I feel like the initial founding fathers might have gone for a round number to build from. More projections. These are actually based on book lore. Um, the average corp town is about the size of Manhattan. That's, that's written up there somewhere. Uh, so that's about 23 square miles. And at this point, we can actually start making some real guesses about the density of buildings and such. Although with the way that vectors build, wouldn't you be um, measuring that in cubic miles? Well, yes. We do, they do build up and they do build down. But the footprint of your typical corp town, if there is such a thing, is about the size of Manhattan. One thing, I do wonder why vectors continue to measure in miles. Well, we don't know they're speaking English. We don't know they're measuring in miles. Oh, valid point. Uh, and we see Korean in the background sometimes, so I think they speak in cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. So Everything sounds better in cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Assuming 23 square miles of city per corp town, assuming cor- 200 corp towns, huge, that, that's my biggest random assumption. We're looking at about 50 megastructures per corp town. You can swear in cyberpunk and only other people get offended. This is what they do when I start rambling. <laughs> Uh, which gives us a density of about two megastructures per cubic per square mile. You got me doing it. <laughs> two megastructures per square mile. Going on more math, I have tried to get a clear answer from Sev as to how big a megastructure truly is. The book says there are several blocks, but of course, a block is not a real number. Um, more or less, though, we can say it's equivalent to an acre or a football field. Those are all kind of interchangeable. Um, and then we looked at that. And I, I threw that one out there on the Discord chat, and people thought that was kind of small, which it is. Six blocks is about the size of, say, a large hotel or your typical state capitol building. But if you look at Spyglass, say, uh, these buildings, while they're, they're huge towering structures, they're supposed to have enough space inside them to have things to discover, to be areas you can explore. A footprint the size of a large hotel seemed a little bit small in some ways, because you can't really get lost in that. So someone suggested, well, maybe it's six blocks on a side, and looking at that, you're scaling up to something that's more the size of the Pentagon, or a state capital plus its surrounding luxurious grounds. If you live in Texas, it's about that size. You really have to take into account how tall we're going, though. If you're looking at this as a cube, then sure, that's not a lot of space, but if you look at most science fiction, whether it's from games like Civilization or sci-fi, you're talking cloud buildings. Yes. Needle spires, that type of thing. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. H- have you read the book yet? <laughs> I have read the book. Okay. Uh, so your typical megastructure, uh, this is only really written up in, written up in first ed. Uh, your typical megastructure is about a mile high at least, maybe higher. So yeah, we are talking cloud buildings at that point. So yeah, a mile high structure the si- with the base the size of the Pentagon is kind of a big, exciting building. It seems like it'd look a little spindly if it was um, like a six block base. That'd be kind of like a mile high building that was not amazingly larger than a small neighborhood. So well, your definition of spindly depends on what technology you're used to. If you're used to earthenworks, then spindly looks very different than if you're used to modern composites or even super high-tech stuff. Right, and these buildings are largely printed out of molecular tofu. Sure, and concrete. They, they might be the top parts of it might be held up by uh, cables leading up to satellites. We can't rule that out. That might be the case on Europa. It also depends on to a certain extent, what megacorp you're talking about, a more generic 3D printed building might look like a giant pile of Legos. Some of the others might put some style effects on. Well, we do know that ASR tends to have levitation components in their buildings, which occasionally don't break down, do break down, (laughs) rarely break down. 
Uh, but but to return to numbers, given the density of some of some of Terra's structures in terms of uh, apartment complexes and offices and such like, uh, some of the biggest hotel type blocks in the world, biggest apartment complex type blocks in the world. But scaling one of those up to a mile high structure, we're looking at a building that can sustain about two hundred thousand people. I'm kind of rounding down in every case because these buildings contain recreational districts and other elements and things like that. Luxuries. Yeah, exactly. We have in the color text section a description of like a water park using flowform technology in the middle of one of these things. That was kind of a really neat feature. The smallest megastructure is the size of a modest town. And think of your hometown and how many features there are that you'd want to send a tourist to or places to go and visit. That would be exactly half of one. (laughs) Okay, well... Yeah, the road out. <laughs> Prominently <laughs> featured. Okay, well, think of an idealized hometown. <laughs> sure, sure. Imaginary. Yeah, so there's going to be a couple of things to draw people there. Uh, these buildings, I think this is discussed somewhere in there. The, build, the uh, megastructure is a small city or a very large city uh, scaling up the Pentagon to a mile-high structure. You could get a space that can s- easily seat a million people. That's probably the high end. One mile is the low end of, the, of, a, of these things, so... You can see these can go a large number of directions, and Sev has said it's somewhere between the two is the average structure. So I don't know. But either way, you can fit a large town to a small town, and I'm, I'm really circling around a lot. Six. <sighs> Typical <laughs> megastructure, if there was such a thing, can have between 200,000 and 1 million vectors living comfortably in it. Okay. With room to spread out and have uh, movie theaters and such like. Each of these places is a town in of itself uh, in Marscope land. In particular, people don't tend to leave them very often. They're not meant to have people wandering between them. They're meant to be places that you live for quite some time. So unless you have business that keeps you traveling, you may not leave your megastructure very often. And Marsco values predictability. So they're going to discourage it as well. Sure. It's kind of like living in a theme park that you never, ever want to leave. Yeah. Have you been to the Mall of the Americas? We had a chance to go there. It had a large amusement park inside of it. Kind of neat. Or living in a really good buffet. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Kind of projecting out for some of these numbers, we can imagine that a typical corp town is covered about one, is about about one quarter of it is used for megastructure architecture. Mm -hmm. So it's likely that there's a fairly dense urban core which in uh, Marsco or ASR may actually might be a lower rent district in Pulse or Progenitus that might be the center of town in the highest rent district. Maybe a third of it, again, is used for more modest, like one to two megastructure things and then mixed-use development, and maybe a third is left fallow or evenly spread. Um, none of this really matches up with the art in the books, but I think it's a, a useful guide for maybe how to build a corp town in a hurry. You're also dealing with a society that quite happily builds and lives in space stations. So there's going to be at least some similarities in construction just for convenience. Right. And there's no reason these buildings can't be fairly dense. In Terra, we worry about sunlight. <laughs> right, right. And to some degree, organic light is going to be a premium because things are always status, status priced somehow. Sure. If it's rare, it's valuable. But even if you live in the innermost core of the building, you can have lovely windows that show an ocean view. Holograms are great. That's a major industry now. Let me expand on that idea a little bit. You're dealing with a society that quite happily builds and lives in space stations, which are completely self-contained word. Environments? Yes. Uh, completely self-contained environments. 
zero-sum environments. They're nothing in, nothing out, and they're perfectly fine. Also, soil and greenness people, we know that. <laughs> but um, when you take those technologies that they already have available and just the social science around keeping a population happy on this type of concentrated, in the middle of space living conditions, you can transfer just about all of that over to a megastructure to do basically the same thing. Yes, the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the sky is blue outside, but wouldn't you rather live inside forever? <laughs> it's nice in here. We have AC. Yes. And Marsco shapes society. That's one of its main products is a stable and predictable people. So yeah, they may, they certainly deprioritize travel. Uh, made systems where everything kind of looks alike. With ASR technology, you can really bring other people into your environment through holography fairly easily and have like simulated your relationships be in the area to visit through ghostly projections of light. There isn't a lot of reason to leave these structures, and it is seems to be accurately discouraged by Marsco as well. Rumors of giant rockets underground that will take the megastructures to the stars are strictly rumors. Uh, not in progenitus. <laughs> <laughs> in progenitors, the space the spaceships look like buildings. So the top level of a megastructure is kind of the the skybridge zone that's touched on in Sound and Silence. And this is not just or not necessarily an area where like giant trams come and connect the megastructures together. It might or may not be that we don't really know. Air trams. Yeah, I kind of think that might be more luxury transport, and a lot of standardized transport is through rails on the ground. It, this is more penthouse level, uh, a place for avians and executives, that sort of thing. People really like their, their vast views of, of town. One quirk about Mars itself is that the atmosphere of Mars is much less gradiated than Earth's. Terra has some four times the gravity of Mars. I don't really remember exactly what the number is. And that creates a fairly dense atmosphere, which starts thinning out about 8,000 feet. So on Earth, a structure like these mega, a building like these megastructures, you might start to lose your breath at some of the top levels. You wouldn't want to be out sunbathing on the top of one of these things. On Mars, the atmosphere is about double that. Uh, is that right? I'm not saying it correctly. Twice the density? No, not twice the density. On Mars, the atmosphere thins at sort of twice the scale of Earth's. Uh, on Mars, you could probably go about three miles without actually having uh, atmosphere-thin illness-type things. Hmm. And then add to that that vectors are really adaptable, and ones that live a top-floor existence probably have adapted to those thin atmospheres as well. And you have a culture that really doesn't worry so much about the top of these buildings. So just because it's in the cloud zone, and it is in the cloud zone, doesn't mean that you can't walk out and enjoy the sun or not asphyxiate or have heart palpitations or whatever. Mars has a more breathable atmosphere at higher altitudes. Hmm. It's actually likely going to cause problems with long-term terraforming of Mars because the atmosphere blows away more easily. Right. But um, for a fiction, it's it's a fairly breathable atmosphere going quite high. Hmm. So those birds could flap around on the top levels and it wouldn't really mean, be meaningfully different than their experiences at lower levels. That's kind of interesting. Although with a mile-high building, flying out the top of it, where do you go? Down. Down. <laughs> right, right. I'm just speculating that that might be a less interesting place. It's kind of like having a garage from your car, for your car out in the middle of nowhere. Well, you could circle around and go to the shopping district or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You go different parts of the same building, sure. Yeah, and they probably have like outdoor edges that you can face out in land. Marsco builds to be adaptable, and uh -huh. um, they're going to have things like that. I think you underestimate the value of taking the whole launching part of the flight equation out. That really, really 
is a luxury. Uh-huh. Okay. One thing that's a little more, well, I was about to say a little more unique. One thing that's unusual in spyglass towns is their megastructures are tightly connected. Um, people build informal structures to link them together. They call those whisker buildings, I think. <laughs> and Marsco does not do that. Marsco does not like that because Marsco values predictability and spyglass values innovation, at least more so. Predictability is kind of an anti-value for spyglass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't know whether these uh, structures are up to code necessarily, uh, given that the concept of code is alien both to spyglass in particular and soul generally. One suspects not, but at least the slow gravity might help your descent somewhat. But generally speaking, I think if you looked at megastructures, you'd see very divided buildings. Each one is kind of an empire to itself. Each one is like a city. It's got its own personality. They've got their own ghost stories. They've got their own worlds and cultures. Uh, in Pulse Town, they're probably fairly competitive, even despite being maybe 500 feet away from each other. My building's daddy could beat up your building's daddy. Absolutely. Anyway, that's kind of a rambling look at some thoughts about megastructure architecture. I wonder if, if uh, towards the top of some buildings... You, is there might be gantries for, for ships to, to dock in kind of hover mode, at least smaller ones? I suspect that some of the more like Corvette-style spaceships that we get, um, maybe a CEO has their own, that'd be a really reasonable thing. It'd be like having a luxurious helicopter pad or something like that. Cloudside yacht dock. Yeah, exactly. Um, that would be a reasonable luxury. I don't think that the... I don't feel like that they would be... Um, that megastructures would be used for like high-capacity ship launches and things like that. Uh For one thing, those are more likely just to stay in space. For another, I mean, a lot of this area is probably left fallow, and there's probably industrial zones, things like that. They could better support that sort of thing. And it's expensive to hover. Probably, although we have kind of infinite energy drives in this century. So less expensive to hover, but Mm -hmm. still there's no reason for it. Right. No, I think that we'd be looking at the the Skybridge system being there for luxury use and high-end well, are, are they reactionless drives? I feel like if I asked Seb, he'd probably just say... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, well, they, use, they incorporate some of the technology that uh, ASR developed for levitation and things like that. So it's, it's a magical drive of some sort, but they're not, okay. they're, they're not infinite energy, but they're pretty darn efficient. Okay, but you're, you're not scouring the, the farms below with jets of flame? Probably not. Good. I mean, I don't know what Lumen is up to these days. Well, one hopes. Yeah, maybe Pulse would do it. Sure. But it'd look awesome. Yeah, they're not totally free. They do. They definitely make a differentiation between the different classes of ships and not necessarily how far they can go, but where they can enter and where they can leave based off just size. Uh-huh. So magical engines, but not totally magical engines. Not okay. infinite energy in- engines or anything. Okay. Well, in particular, uh, Progenitus and Spyglass both are known for housing their ships inside their, their corp towns. In Progenitus land, the ships are glorious spires, and they fit in really well with the, the general cathedral-esque architecture of town and the general pattern of, like, golden chrome and things like that. Spyglass tends to use human shields a lot in their building instructions, so they'll tend to lodge, like, one or two of these weirdly shaped uh, prism ships somewhere in the city, uh, both as spy units and as allegedly defending the defense of the city units, although there's kind of a chicken egg argument as to whether they're hiding from people behind meat shields or protecting their citizens nobly. It depends on the time of day. Uh, the rest of them, I don't think they talk too much about lodging ships in the cities, but those two do get a special mention. 
It's kind of one of the reasons why I think the buildings don't want to get too dense, though, is so that there's room for maneuvering aircraft in the area if need be. Uh, Marsco builds for modularity, and I think the concept of modularity implies uh, maneuverability as well for construction units and such. Can't prove that in court, but I think it's a reasonable assumption. Unless they're simply to the point of rolling a 3D printer in and it spray prints everything. Well, they've got these like vast underground tunnels in Marsco land, so maybe the building just drops into this <laughs> into the substrata and is, is disintegrated or de, de, de what's the word derezzed, de, de, uh, well Goopified. disassembled uh, un, into its component units and it's coughed up somewhere else. That would be kind of an extreme dark city sort of view, but maybe if you look at the picture of Marsco, though, it does look like there's more empty space underground than is there's a lot of empty space underground, and you probably could do something like that. Hmm. So far as the rest of the city goes, I feel like first that establishes that vectors tend to appreciate nature and things along those lines. They like animals and plants just fine. They don't mind being in charge of them and controlling them and you know killing them for fun, but they appreciate them. So I think that it's safe to imagine that a certain, a fairly large percentage of the rest of town is used for just kind of fallow area, maybe half industrial, half pleasant use of space mm-hmm. we don't really know but it seems that there may be space there may be space allowed for more open air development particularly since the megastructures themselves are mixed use cities so recreation amenities or just low low-key use of space for i don't i don't know um this is not covered in the books low density commercial zones yeah my estate was zoned as bowling alley <laughs> it saves on taxes <laughs> So far as like the Marsco underground goes, I think you could go a couple of different directions. We know there are areas in Marsco land that are slums. Um, we have an example of one of them in the color text of the books. And those underground areas in a positive, well-developed uh, space might be kind of nice. They might be you know just as nice upstairs as downstairs, uh, more spacious even. But in the slum, you might be getting some places where the chrome is worn away where things aren't maintained very well and you might get um, more monstrous encounters another thought if you're thinking of kind of specking out a megastructure in your campaign is how are those non-residential zones used I mean there's obviously a lot of shopping a lot of offices some manufacturing but again these are zones that are like major tourist attractions people probably use them to promote their cities so there might be any number of things that are there to bring excitement and energy to the area. And each of those things brings in trickle revenue because all vectors are continually offloading creds from their ledgers in micro microtransactions. And if they want to visit the Six Flags over Europa Park or something like that, they're going to go there and they're going to be dinged continually for the experience and they're going to enjoy it. And then they'll do it again and again. So these things are valuable resources for the community and things they probably take pride in and promote. You'll also have everything else you would need to basically live as a vector in vector society, though. So you'll definitely have the commercial zones, both the lighter, more consumer-oriented commercial zones, but also some of the deeper office buildings and denser actual, like, money factories. You're going to have a certain amount of laboratory and industry factories, that type of thing. Everything that you need for a self-contained society Mm -hmm. will have a presence somewhere. And then that's going to include administration and overhead, maintenance, the boring bits of uh, plumbing and electrical generation and all the other facilities. 
It's all going to be in there. It might be reasonable to assume that a particular megastructure might be the home of a modest-sized corporation, um, not a megacorp, but like a third-level subsidiary or something like that. So as well, that corporation have a substantial interest in branding the megastructure, in incorporating its concept philosophy and mascots or whatever into the building itself. So maybe there's a giant brewery in the middle or a stadium for promoting your team or something like that that's heavily themed to the main owner of the complex. Cockroaches of unusual size? Probably an exaggeration. (laughs) Unless you're hunting them. Yes. The uh, other angle that you can take that, certainly the megastructure is going to be a building where Vector entire societies basically live and breathe and grow and die but <laughs> and in the circle of life <laughs> exactly the foxes become the grass <laughs> that doesn't mean that they don't have their own identity as well when you look at even some of the larger buildings just at a modern time level different buildings will start to have different maybe not personalities, but certain brandings that they start coming across. Then you can take a look at somewhere like Vegas, where all the different hotels are very aggressively commercialized and competing for incoming people and commercial and revenue. They've really pushed that to not only are they heavily have their own personality, they have their own branding and marketing and an entire theme. I suspect that the megastructure won't go quite that far. But there's nothing to say that you can't have a certain personality or life to the megastructure by itself. No, I think I think that they do have personalities. They probably have names. Um, they probably have local names. I mean, again, any one of these buildings is half the size of Austin or something like that. They're they're big zones, and they probably do have a set of local celebrities. The ASR ones definitely have names and will greet you by name. <laughs> Hello, the TTI ones as well. <laughs> They've chosen their own names, though. At that point, it's kind of frightening. Well, they affectionately lick you on entrance. Ah. <laughs> uh, maybe there's like a big flash shopping zone where a lot of merchants kind of pop in and out all the time and things are constantly changing or, um, or whatever. Again, we have that water fountain. Have you, uh, is, a, is a flash shopping zone a riot? <laughs> yes. Okay. Maybe I spent too much time in like the big World Trade Center buildings and things like that. Yeah. But images like the one, the one megastructure that had this flow-form water park, that sort of thing is kind of, kind of interesting and exciting. What can you do to make your space unique and make people from other, com- other nearby buildings come to visit? Uh, I thought maybe an ASR building might have like a two-level um, makerspace sort of workshop where people are encouraged to create things and then charge for the experience. Um, Marsco also tends to have uh, themed levels for micros and macros and TARs and things like that. So you might get an entire like three-level suite that's very small, tiny town sort of thing. Hmm. Little, little, little Rodentia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From Zootopia. Yeah. Um, an efficient use of space and a very concentrated revenue generation point. Yes, yes. Well, it's nice you go there and everything's kind of scaled to you. All the good shops are there. <laughs> yeah, only a theme park actually built in a grease trap. <laughs> but working with um, megastructure kind of mindset, you're working primarily with Marsco, and then you can stop and take a step back and say, what do the other corporations do differently? We've definitely covered some of this. We'll cover some more of this, but I've kind of looked at just a few keywords. Um, ASR, of course, leans heavily on holograms. Their environment is responsive. They encourage, even more so than Marsco, a stay-at-home culture. It's, it's not quite couch potato land because they make their environment so interactive that it's fun to explore, but they have a lot more work-from-home people um, encourage that sort of behavior. It's a culture that is okay with being shut-ins. 
But fundamentally, I think ASR structures things the same as Marsco does, just with more Macintosh trim. And when the day comes, they already have the floating couches designed. Absolutely. Uh, Pulse tends to orient itself around arenas and things like that at the center of things. But you could easily have the top elements of your megastructure be a major arena. That's going to be kind of towards the center of town. Or maybe there's one framed by a large megastructure-like thing, like kind of like the Pentagon again, or the buildings around Times Square. Well, you actually have the advantage. You, you have the structure built for a vertical arena. You won't get that same type of vertical arena almost anywhere else. It's a perfect opportunity to play some games that you just can't on the ground. Sure. And the idea of a tall, spindly megastructure is not necessarily what they had to be. It could be spread out so you have like a very long, wide structure that you can build this vast thing on top of. And for, for your games of hyper curling. <laughs> Pulse also has the, the weird environment of like trapezes and strange scaffolding and things like that. So it may be, and Pulse also has fewer inhabitants, fewer uh, corp citizens than the other mega corporations. So it may be that Pulse in particular is not really mega structure territory. We can't really rule that out. They don't really have that many corp towns. Their megastructures are bigger and better than all the other megacorps. What are you talking about? They are. They, <laughs> they are, and they, they have really great light shows and things like that. TTI, I think the keywords are organic, adaptable, explorable. They grow their buildings, and there's evidence that they have megastructure-type things as well. They certainly have the the tower, um, the ivory tower, the infinite tower. I forget what it's called right now. The big tower on Europa. So they can grow buildings like that. But again, it's a fairly small incorporation. They may have, they may not have corp towns to speak of. But no one has ever managed to map their mega structures because they keep changing inside. Yeah, and uh, hope your uh, the capsule that you've been living in doesn't suddenly decide to eat its inhabitants. That only happens occasionally. And, and their internal parasites are terrifying. It's truth. Progenitus tends to build inwards and upwards. They have a central focal point in a cathedral-like style, so the entire area might look like the rise to Mount Olympus or something like that, but with, with more gleaming gold trim. Progenitus is communal as well. They, The experience of most people working in Progenitus is that they provide everything you need, but underline the word need. So you are given strong subsistence, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Supplies, materials, lifestyle. But not a lot of privacy. Uh, resources are shared. Things are shared in common. It's uh, until you get to higher levels of corporate satisfaction and payoff do you get privacy and things like that. And even then you're under constant surveillance even more so. So it's possible that the areas that are most celebrated by the corp are also the densest population zones, whereas I'd imagine Marsco, like a dense population area where there's more megastructure than open area, might be the lower rent district. In Regenitus, it's the at least publicly acclaimed zone, because that's where people celebrate their glorious corporate commonality together. It's a theory. But also the book describes Regenitus as having more so than Marsco and Undercity, because it has a lot of people that can't live the dream and they drop out of society and they drop under society. Whether that's literally an undercity um, like Marsco's underground colonies or whether the areas that are outside of the spire architecture are just not really well maintained. People go there and they aren't really seen again or they go there and live in little subsistence cells, which is what the text implies. Uh, we don't know. But 
Progenitus is perhaps more dystopian than many of the other corporations, particularly particularly in their population distribution and treatment. I still love Progenitus, but I think we're going to have a lot more heated argument about them over the next few episodes. <laughs> and then Spyglass, we talked about Spyglass. It's kind of a patchwork land where nothing really makes that much sense. It's a little bit Alice in Wonderlandy. Buildings are built without roadmaps or guides their uh, citizens. So again, this is an area that might be rivaling the size of Portland where nothing is really explained in its use and people have to kind of unpack it as they go. I also really like Progenitus, but I think before I really start moving into that setting again, I need to reread 1984 and other dystopian fascist uh, writings because they definitely have some of that going on. Do you want to talk about ship architecture for a bit? We can. Um, I brought it up. I didn't really do any look think on it, but it's been so long since I read that section, I don't remember a bunch of it. For the most part, they seem to share the keywords of their corporate overlords, with I think Pulse being an exception. Mars Coast ships are modular and blocky. Um, Spyglass ships are impenetrable and poorly mapped. Progenitus ships have gold trim and large open areas, which is never a good idea. (laughs) Well, it also talks a little bit about where the center of the heart of the ship is. Marsco doesn't really have one. Or you could look at it as Marsco ships are much closer to maybe the Star Trek ships or just your generic sci-fi ships. The heart of the ship is simply the bridge. That's just the brain. That's where everything um, centers, where the captain is. It's, it's the eyes and ears of the ship. I think Pulse even more so because Pulse like glorifies the captain role to such a degree and gives them a really big comfy chair they can um, totally manspread in. Uh, also, all Pulse ships have like red trim and fins. We know this. this of course. Is, this is fact. You can't just be a Pulse captain. Everyone who simply looks at you must know that you are a Pulse captain. So you got to wear the hat. <laughs> but when you talk about Progenitus, Progenitus kind of pulls away from that, kind of the heart of the ship, is is that cathedral-like central structure. It's a little bit more of the heart of the community, heart of the ship type thing, as opposed to just being the front of the ship, being the brain as kind of the central focus. And then you move over to IRPF, and they take that to a different level. The, the heart of the ship is their parade ground, which you know, it's going to have the barracks on some side and going to have all the other parts of the ship working around it. But the parade ground is where people come out to train, they come out to work out, they come out to socialize. It's It really is just the beating heart of a mil- semi-military police uh, community. Yeah, it's like we were in um, Battlestar Galactica. This would be the, the large bridge with smaller ships docked there that you have every other scene in. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's also food trucks. Don't have anything for Spyglass. It's just whatever yeah and tti the heart of the ship is literally beating so so where's scuba here (laughs) (laughs) there comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes well after your description i don't think i'd want to see it either so, um, thinking about what's been awesome this week, from a week with some really exciting news, I think the most amazing article I've seen thus far has been Wendy's Feast of Legends. Uh, this may be the only time I'll go off on fast food on this podcast. Wendy's released a 97-page PDF tabletop role-playing game in the style of, I think, 5th Ed D&D. It is 
unusually well written for a complicated joke. Uh, in the land of Biggie Vale, uh, the heroes will rise to defend freshness. On page two, you see Wendy herself. She's wearing like red paladin armor with a blue and white frocked pattern on it. Big old red pigtails and a massive sword. The PCs are fighting against um, frozen beef. A lot of the main antagonists have like kind of an ice edge to it. You get character classes like um, the uh, Order of the Spicy Chicken Sandwich, which has fire, power, fire powers. Uh, Order of the Chicken Nugget is Thieves. The Barbarian is the Order of the Baconator. And Queen uh, Wendy's honorifics are kind of amazing. Queen Wendy, first of her name, breaker of fast food chains, defender of all things fresh, never frozen. <laughs> it's really cute. The weapons list has sporks and spatulas on it. It's it's oh. it's fun, and the jokes don't actually ever become cloying. If you can take the world's kind of absurdist rather than like marketing copy, it's it's really kind of nice, and the illustrations are good too. It's 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 loving, and there were some industry insiders at work at this. I don't know who, but it feels just it feels solid. Um, anyway, uh, the product can be found at www.feastoflegends.com. I would suggest that for our table for the next time that we're switching up games, just for a one or two one-off type thing. But I think that might break a couple of brains at the table. Well, we could... Like a Frosty drunk too quick. <laughs> we, we we could bring in food for it and, <laughs> and no one could eat it because we're all diabetic <laughs> or dieting, one of the two. Well, in the, the, the news that I remember, in, in, in Hyena News, um, the... Fake meats really taking off all over the place to the point at which apparently the actual meat industry is trying to get into the game by incorporating plants in their actual meat. We call them onions, don't we? No, no. It's to, to make um, meat plus, which has veggies ground into it. Although another group has made a simul- meat-based simulated plant i think the the, 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 no. the, the the meat carrot or merit we've gone meta i think it's a joke uh and not expected to actually be bought by anybody but, like, but it exists it's pretty cool how many levels of quill are we removed from burger at this it's, point it, it's a beautiful world of meat and simulated meat you see a hamburger the meat wars have begun <laughs> and nobody noticed because we were playing wendy's tabletop game <laughs> yes <laughs> Uh, similar to the Wendy's tabletop game, this is a little bit older news, but KFC also threw their hat into the uh, video game arena. Uh, KFC by itself is the publisher of, I don't even remember the name, but it's a Colonel Sanders dating sim visual novel. Do, do, do you date Colonel Sanders? I don't know. Are you a Colonel Sanders? No. Okay. But it is using the new sexy Colonel Sanders and not the um, hang on, hang on, hang older on. Southern gentleman. Okay. So he just threw a sentence out that I wasn't expecting. We we could probably provide you some links um, in you, the chat below. This is really really good podcasting. He's showing me a picture of sexy Colonel Sanders on his phone right now. <laughs> so if you haven't been uh, paying attention to the KFC news lately, or watching our podcast, or watching the podcast, do do we? No. Film video? No, we don't. The uh, KFC has recently replaced the fine Southern gentleman that's been yeah. headlining their KFC ads for a fairly long time with, with a new um, Gen X millennial type uh, refreshed image. This is like the new Mickey Mouse where his head is big. <laughs> the new uncanny mouse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's smug. 
Okay. He's like hipster Colonel Sanders. Wow. He is indeed kind of like hipster Colonel Sanders. He's really got beautiful hair. It's kind of swept back in sort of a semi-pompadour sort of thing. He's really, really smug. (laughs) Um, He does have the secret recipe. New sexy dirtbag Colonel Sanders is a total snack. (laughs) Well, that's that's lovely. I I would, he could be in a dating sim. And here we go. The uh, name of the sim itself is actually, I love you, Colonel Sanders. Oh, well. So does the oh t- with a lovely animated version of Whoa. said Colonel Sanders? <laughs> Anime Colonel Sanders is really hot. <laughs> does the tie? So look it, at look. No, look at him. Look, you, you're not gay. <laughs> not this week. Huh? It's cute. <laughs> so, so aside from you know some of the others that well, show the audience. Show the audience. You can now see on the big screen. Tune in now. But this is available through Steam, a couple of other online retailers. It's apparently an actual full-fledged game, uh, but it is published by KFC. It's huh. not just a material that's farmed out to a different studio shop or a different publisher, uh, which means that KFC is now one of the largest grossing publishers uh, well in their elbowing aside Activision, EA, and other industry giants. Huh. By pure revenue, of course. Okay, okay. We're not. Their publishing empire is still a modest side order. <laughs> okay, I guess we're gonna watch KFC videos now. So, until three minutes forty-seven seconds, catch you outro line. Intro music is Future Club, and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.